Welcome to another episode of Steve's Speed Shop, brought to you by WarrantyWise, the UK's best warranty provider. Get a quote from them today at warrantywise.co.uk. We're brought to you by Mini Sports, specialising in the classic Mini since 1967. And we're brought to you by West Coast Motorcycles. They sell Harley Davidsons, lots of them, and very lovely they are too. Find them on Facebook at West Coast Motorcycles. Gary McCaffrey is in the business of buying and selling motorcycles. Not that unusual. Lots of people do that. But what most people in that business do is buy and sell bikes that are built in factories by the likes of BMW and Triumph and Honda. The bikes that Gary buys and sells are made in lock-up garages, rickety garden sheds, basement cellars. They're choppers, bobbers, trikes, one-off dream bikes that sometimes turn into nightmares. I've known him for years. I've often thought I should get him on the show. I'm glad that I did. He's been around bikes all his life and on all kinds of motorcycles. He's a really good guest. Stick around for this one. My guest from Northwest Customs is Gary McCaffrey. Guys, I've got this um, very strong memory. People, because you know, I've been interviewed a few times, especially back in the day, when, right, I'm going to go for the record here, first mention of Top Gear in the first minute of this show. <laughs> I normally get 20 minutes in, but I'm going to mention it, first minute. Um, and people said to me, um, can you remember the, the first, and I say, yeah, 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 first motorcycle memory, really, is when I was 10, and me and my brother had a little snooker table, mini snooker table that we got for Christmas, one of those that folded down, you know, the legs folded underneath yeah, yeah. it, right? And um, we were playing snooker in the bedroom after school. And outside I heard, ran to the window, obsessed with motorbikes, ran to the window. And there was somebody sat on an RD400. And I thought, that's an RD400. It was 10. That's an RD400. Daytona yellow, black and white speed blocks. And at first, I didn't twig that it was my dad, even though it was my dad. Because my dad rode a C90, a Honda Cub. My dad didn't ride an RD400. But my dad wore a donkey jacket. You know, you could buy like 500 quid donkey jackets now. <laughs> you could buy designer donkey jackets. I think it was a national coal board one, the one that my dad had. <laughs> and he had this black full face helmet, which was quite rare back then. Never had a visor on it. And he'd, he'd hand painted it two or three times. Every time the paint chipped, he'd just get some whatever paint he had, mix it up and and paint it again so it looks yeah. a bit more presentable. Never wore gloves. Not even in winter, my dad. Never wore gloves. Don't know why. <laughs> That's a minor thing as well. I know miners who ride and they never wear gloves. All right. Don't know why. <laughs> but my dad didn't either. I thought, That's my dad. So he was like gesturing. So I ran downstairs, put my coat on. He said, Put your coat on. And I got on the back and I said, Dad, what about helmet? He went, Put your hood up. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a snorkel parker, do you remember them? I do, yeah. Right, so I put my snorkel parker rod up, tied it tight underneath me underneath my chin. We set off down the air fifty-six. It was like crazy. We were doing like Luke, my dad was a lunatic back in the day. Off we go. We get back and uh I'm just running in the house and my dad said I said, Dad, that was brilliant. And he went, Don't tell your mother. And that was it. So what's your what's your equivalent of that? I, I think pr- probably when I, when I was about eleven or twelve, right. 
Um, fr- friend of mine actually called Phil, who lives in Australia now, um, where he used to live, there was a guy who used to come on a, like say, you know, you know the two stroke coming flat out up the road, and it was a guy, all I know his name was Eric, on a wide yes 7 250 Yam, who went out with a girl called Gillian Gittens, who lived just around the corner, and he used to scream, Phil lived on a bend, right around the bend, and then he'd park up outside her house, and we'd run round and look at this yam. I'd be like in awe of it, you know. It was so fast, and he was absolutely mad on it, the guy. To the point where I bought one last week. And went <laughs> <in the seven. laughs> one came up, 1972, immaculate restored, and I actually picked it up last Friday. How fantastic. Yeah. Did you ride it back or did you go in the van? I know, I went to the van. Yeah, I but have, I bet, hold on, I bet you rode it the same day, didn't you? I did ride it the same yeah. day, yeah. yeah, yeah. What colour is it, mate? It's Purple gold, or gold, gold or something? Gold, gold. yeah. Oh, wow. The they one. really understood how to sell motorbikes to people, didn't they? Yeah, they Men, did, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. It was like, make it fast, make it make a great noise, and paint it a crazy, mad colour. That's right, all, all the colours seem paint to be... Paint it purple or acid yellow or That's orange right, yeah. or something like that. Like yeah. I say, that yam, it was... Because what colours were there for the RD? There was the... There was the... Obviously the yellow... Yeah, Daytona yellow with this black and white speed block. So what was the other? Was, was the blue? Was a blue? Was a blue? Was a silver one, and then the later ones, white and red. The, the oh yeah, one, yeah, the white heat yeah. with the red wheels and the white. Which oh side. my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, which are the last ones they did, I think. Yeah, what are they like to ride? No, I haven't ridden one for ages. Are Ab- they just absolutely great? Still, still, I, I still enjoy riding them. They're fantastic. I mean, they're, they're still the fast bike at the end of the day, aren't they? For, when you're for the, on, yeah. well, when you're on a like a, a YPBS, a three fifty LC. You can't believe how light it is, how small it is, and how quick it is. That's right, yeah. Still quick, but quick in a, in a sort of... Because people are going, oh, what are you talking about? Uh, Ducati, this, that, and the other, V4, or, you know, BMW, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we get it. We totally get it that modern superbikes have 200 brake horsepower and all this electronic stuff on them. But there's something about an old-school two-stroke Japanese twin De- or yeah. triple yeah. where the whole experience... I mean, I drove um, a Mustang GT, a uh, 67 Fastback, a couple of weeks ago, and it felt fast, and I knew it yeah. wasn't, because yeah. I wasn't going that much faster than the traffic. I was going a bit faster than everybody else. It felt like my air was on fire, <laughs> yeah. you know, because the noise of this V8 and the whole, the heavy steering That's and the it, size yeah. of it and all that sort of stuff, and those old two-strokes, I mean... You couldn't sit at traffic lights without blipping the throttle, could no, you? Right. <laughs> yeah. The only thing, thing you find, basically, when I rode the wide yes seven, um, is the brakes. Obviously, it's a drum brake. Drum brakes all round, and they are on the modern roads. I'd work. I, I had to slam on. There was um, a police car come behind me, put the sounds on. The car in front of me overreacted and slammed on, and then nearly crashed into it. You know, but I, I managed to stop it. But the brakes are a bit inferior on them. Was it you he was after? <laughs> no, no, no. No, really. he was just after <laughs> yeah, a he was just, he was just after getting past us, yeah, yeah. The problem is, well, is, th- is there traffic now? You know, back in the day, like I talked about this guy, uh, I'm from Derry, and uh, born and bred just north of Manchester. And there was a famous traffic cop, Kennedy. Everyone knew Kennedy. There's generations of lads from Berry now who are going, oh, yeah, Kennedy, and yeah. they've got a Kennedy story. Oh, yeah, he stopped me on such and such a road, and he was in his Capri. He had a Capri at one point, like the three-litre Capri yeah, yeah. suit. But the regular panda cars didn't bother with you, the blue and whites, or whatever, they didn't bother with you. It, but there were traffic. There was a traffic division. Yeah. And if you were a young man with a fast car or a fast bike, 
they were your nemesis. It was like, you know, <laughs> the numbers of times you'd be like, oh, the stories I've got getting chased and all getting away or not getting away, people falling off, trying to run away from the cops. <laughs> well, right. obviously, one of the things that you do in, in a town like Bury, or I don't know if it's the same, are you a Wiganite? I'm actually a Scouser. But You're a Scouser. In the Wigan since I was 11. So when you're early biking... Oh, right, so you're yeah, early biking days yeah, there. Right, yeah, so, yeah. okay. So what river is Wigan on? Because all the Lancashire industrial towns are on rivers. It's the Doug- Douglas, isn't it? Right, okay. Yeah. So Berry's on the Irwell and the Roach as well, but mainly the Irwell. So what you do is work out... Well, no, you won't need to work it out. You knew where all the footbridges were. Yeah. Right, so... <laughs> I'm not, right, I'm not advocating this, but <laughs> obviously you knew where the footbridges were the cops knew where the footbridges were, and so they had to devise strategies because when they get to, like the Monkey Bridge, if I say that, people will go, oh, yeah, the Monkey Bridge. You had to be yeah. careful there. There was just about enough room to get over on a bike. You had, like, half an inch either side. If, if you had, like, big cow on handlebars, forget it. Yeah. But I could get across on, on everything that I ever had. <laughs> right. So when you headed off the main Bolton Road down there, the cops knew exactly what was going on. They had to get you before you got to the to the footbridge, yeah. <laughs> or they thought, right, we'll go round and we'll catch him coming over the other side. But then you think, yeah, but when I get over the other side, and again, right, this is gonna sound nuts, but um, it was at the time this railway line that I'm saying people used to go on, <laughs> <laughs> right, was only being used by a heritage railway. wasn't being used by British Rail. There was no commuter traffic right. on it. It was just a heritage railway that operated in the summer at the weekend. So if it was a weekday, you knew there wasn't going to be a puffing billy coming in the opposite (laughs) direction or whatever. So you just pop on there and and sort of get away. But now, everything's camera, isn't it? Everything's done by cameras, average speed checks. You know, you you get... get, The first you know, there isn't a conversation at the side of the road with, with somebody saying... Who do you think you are, Barry Sheen or Cal Fogarty or, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever generation you are? I wonder what generation it was before Barry Sheen. Yeah. Jeff Duke Jeff or something Duke like that, yeah. do you think? He probably, yeah. He's yeah. around your way, isn't he? Well, is he? Well, yeah, he was just, uh, well, if you say you're a people. scouser and yeah, then brought up in Wigan, from St. Helens, was I'm it, pretty right? sure, Jeff Duke, yeah, right. yeah. Well, he had a red rose, the Lancashire rose on his oh, crash helmet, well. didn't he? I had an amazing conversation with him once when he said that how important the British motorcycle industry was. And when he won the senior TT for Norton, yeah. it beat news of war on the BBC right. News. They got back to the hotel in Douglas, put the radio on. Here is the news from the BBC. <laughs> Geoffrey Duke, <laughs> the Lancastrian <laughs> yeah. rider, has won the senior TT on a Norton. Right. In other news, Britain is at war with <laughs> Egypt. <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> it was like, because it was, wasn't That's it? Right, yeah, the, yeah. The, we forget. I mean, you know, if you're German, you understand, because, you know, the German motor industry is still very much alive and well and, you know, and That's with right, us. Yeah. But the British mo- motorcycle industry and motor industry has yeah. gone. Yeah, we met specialist cars here. We met Aston Mines. We met Bentleys. We met Triumph Motorcycles. I think we're starting to make Norton Motorcycles again. But yeah. on nothing like the scale that we did. That's right, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. So what was the, what was the first bike... So that was the first bike you saw, but yeah. what was the first bike you rode? The first bike I rode? The All fir- knackers out of the local paper, yeah, the classifieds. The very first bike was an NSU Quickly, which wow. I actually owned when I was about 13 or 14. Right, hold on. I've got... Right, I know I'm butting in straight away, yeah. but do you not think that when you're in Manchester or Liverpool, or any of the big cities or big towns around here, 
and I would imagine all over the UK, and you see these kids on these electrically powered bicycles. That's the same as those things like a Quickly in the 50s, isn't it? Or a Rally Wisp. Or a a Bella Selects. It's, you know, the ones that said that they required light pedal assistance. So you had, just like all the kids whizzing around on electric bicycles, you had a motor, but you're also expected to pedal. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I say it was was NSU Quickly, the the very first one I owned, which I say was a field bike. And then I bought... Hold on, do you remember how much you paid for it? I think it was about a tenner. A tenner? You maniac! You maniac! That's expensive. It probably was then. And did you get it out to the local paper? Because we, I, did, I didn't know. I we used to get them. All oh, right, yeah. we used we used to get the very times in the Bolton Evening News, like a, on a Friday, and like that's when the classifieds that's had been, right, yeah, and it'd say, wouldn't say barn find, would it? It'd say old motorbike. Don't yeah. know what it is. Twenty quid or ten pounds or whatever. Yeah. And you'd ring the number, and it'd be some old guy who'd sort of his son had left home and it was there just left at the back of the garage and in the way that's right and he yeah. just wanted it wanted it gone yeah so you'd get it and it there it'd be, it'd be like 20 30 40 years old and within 24 hours you'd almost completely destroyed it between <laughs> you right, and your yeah. mates ragging it around the field at the back <laughs> the number of times that we would take i mean you know they talk about the origins of choppers and we're going to talk about custom bikes and choppers because that's really your your bread and butter, isn't it, yeah, on, yeah. on a daily basis, uniquely, which is why I want you to come in. I don't know anybody who does what you do. Yeah. But um, we would we were chopping bikes, effectively, because when you were riding over the fields and you'd got some heavy road bike, some old BSA or, or whatever it was, a yeah. James or something like that, all you thought of was cutting stuff off, wouldn't you? Cause That's you'd, right, yeah. Like, or you'd crash it and it'd get caught up in the wheel or something. So you'd be there with that, constantly sawing bits off until there was just enough motorcycle left for it to actually get round the field. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember as well, we had a common modification, I don't know if it was 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 for you lot, was we always used to find that the fuel tanks had rusted out and that would cause problems and we'd be forever having to take the carburetor off and strip it down and clean it out. So what we used to do was just bypass it and we discovered that if you got... A two-litre cider bottle. Right. right. Yeah. If you went to the bottle top, which is the only off-licence in Bury that we could get served at yeah. as youths that we were, we'd trek over to the other side of town, get a two-litre bottle of cider, come back, drink the cider, and <laughs> use the cider bottle as a fuel tank. All right. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, that was that was something that we worked out. We also worked out that it was much better to have a plastic bottle than a glass bottle. We did use a glass bottle once, and then we realised how stupid that was <laughs> yeah. when it broke and deposited petrol all over the hot engine. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> So what followed the quick... It wasn't quickly. That was no, an inappropriately quickly. named motorcycle, it was, it wasn't was. it? Um, the next bike after that was a, it was a Honda 90, but the sporting model, you know, with the tank in front. Not the, it, was a, it was a semi-auto. Yeah. But the, the Honda 90, which I paid... 18 quid for, I can remember that. <laughs> Bought it off a guy called Bonehead. <laughs> right. he, he sadly died last year, actually, went to his funeral. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah um, which, which was like a, a fast bike at the time for me, you know. I, I actually thought it was fast, but I had that for quite a while. Followed Well, by... hold, on, hold on a second. <laughs> I, 
What would the top speed of that Under 90 Sport have been? I reckon it would have, would have done about a 50, 55, 60 mile yeah, hour, possibly. There were, there were a lot of family cars. I mean, I'm not casting aspersions. I think you were a tiny little bit older than me, not that much. So you were starting biking late 70s, yeah, mid to late 70s. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, OK. So I was uh, very early 80s, just a little bit after you. Yeah, yeah. But... Um, Traffic wasn't moving much faster than that. You would have been able to keep up with virtually everything on the road, apart from, like, big, fast, proper motorbikes yeah. and sports cars, which were few and far between, weren't they? That's right, yeah. You know, yeah. you watch old 60s movies, and they're full of Mini Coopers and Jaguar E-types yeah, and Lotuses right, yeah. and stuff like that. But I kind of remember that Britain, and my Britain was full of Morris Miners, Ford Anglias, <laughs> Austin Maxis. Yeah. You didn't see that. Obviously, they put the interesting stuff in, in films, and so people think, oh, yeah, that's what Britain was like. It was full of, like, glamorous people driving Jaguar E-types. Yeah. Well, Barry right. Lancashire wasn't full of glamorous people. <laughs> no. There was one E-type, I've said this before, belonged to a guy called Mr Munkhouse, who had an insurance company in Bury. Right. And he used to park it outside his business in the town centre. And it's, you used to sometimes see it and go, oh, look, there's that Jaguar, there's that E-Type. But it was like, you know, it was an occasion. If you saw somebody in the street, you'd go, the E-Type's out. People would divert to walk past it and have a look at it because everything else was just right, yeah. grey bread and butter motoring, wasn't it, yeah, most of the yeah, time? Yeah. Yeah. So what came after that? Did you did you get hankering for uh, the bigger Japanese stuff? Well, the, these the, that was just field bikes. My, my first actual bike on the road was on my sixteenth birthday. It was an FS one E DX oh yellow one. I bought. Hold I, on, you must have been posh. <laughs> I bought it from Queens Park Motors here in Salford. Well, it wasn't eighteen quid, was it? It wasn't. It was two hundred and thirty-five quid. Oh exactly, my lord. <laughs> Did you have to get it on the drip? Or? I did, yeah. My, my dad said, well, what it was, that year I was 16, it was the year that they were restricting them. Because my birthday was in November, it would have been restricted if I'd have waited till I was 16. So my dad bought it before August so I could have the last of the de-restricted ones. What so a good bloke. So it was an air edge, and uh, I think the HP payments were £11 a month with the promise that I would pay once I got a job, once I left school. So I actually got it when I was 15, but my dad took it to his works in Liverpool, so he... I, I to stop ride. you from riding he did, it. yeah. A good man, but also a wise man, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. he thought, yeah, you're not, we're not keeping it at home, or else, you That's know. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so on my 16th birthday, he brought it home, and it wouldn't start. <laughs> <laughs> but it's brand new, isn't it? It's brand new, but because it had been stood, the car had blocked up. Don't ask me how, but uh, we did get it going eventually. What happened to that bike? Did it get traded for? Because what what were we up to then? Were we up to you could have a fifty and then you could have a two fifty? Yeah, right. So, Not so a one that, two five. It wasn't the no, one. It was two a two fifty. So everybody got DT one two fives, didn't they? That Yamaha. Well, I got then again. I bought it on my seventeenth birthday. I sold the Yam moped for more than it was brand new. I got two hundred and fifty quid for it. Yeah, because it was one of the it was the last ones. restricted. Right. One. Let's put this to bed once and for all. <laughs> There are various myths about the potency of the Yamaha FS1E. And we've gone into the, the details of the, the sport moped years and things like Malaguti Montes and Gorelli Tigers. Yeah. Um, the Suzuki was the AP50. Right, the Honda yeah. was the SS50. We, we, we don't think there was a Kawasaki sports moped. 
Lowlands. No, I don't think they made two. Well, they made two stroke triples and and whatever, but I don't think they made a 50. But the FS1E was always the daddy, and people would claim all sorts of crazy top speeds for that motorcycle. What do you, having owned one of the de-restricted ones, what do you reckon that thing could do? I, I... On the flat, of, not down flat, big hills. With the head down, because <laughs> you, you would put your head down and get as much fun. It would do just, it would do just under 50 mile an hour, like, right. I'd say 48 mile an hour. Yeah. You's, you you might see 50 but if, if you were lucky, if you tuned one, you know, but uh, I'd say just under 50 mile an hour. Which was plenty quick enough. It, it was, yeah. On them skinny, like bicycle tyres, really, weren't they? That's right, yeah. What yeah. a good-looking motorbike it for was, a 16-year-old yeah. lad. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, there's a real danger of us sounding like sad old men, which is what we are. That's why we might sound like them. But I feel a bit, I look at young lads today that age and think, have they got anything that's as exciting as that? That's right, yeah. Really? Yeah. Can you imagine? What? What? Can you remember that day when, like, you went to the shop and signed the papers can, yeah, can there remember. was your bike I mean the excitement must have been off the scale I can remember the salesman's name John you know it, it just sticks sticks in your mind of course you know? it does yeah, yeah. of course it does and did yeah. you get to pick colour or did you just have to well I wanted the yellow DX one the, the DX one at the time they had a big line of them all they, what they did they pre-registered them all on our edges so they wouldn't have to restrict yeah. them because they, yeah. they still had the pedal mechanism on them but I needed to get one before they all sold because, like I say, I, I was only 16 in the November and I was scared they were all going to go, you know, I'd, I'd have to have a restricted one. I'll tell you what, they were well made. As, I'm a big Yamaha fan. When yeah, it comes yeah. to Japanese bikes, I think um, I'm a great admirer of Sashihiro Honda. I mean, I think he's one of the great characters of the 20th century. I can't believe there hasn't been a film. There probably is in Japan. There's probably yeah, yeah. been a film about him because when you think about it, a, a man who worked in his father's blacksmith's forge with hot metal as a young man and in his own lifetime became the largest manufacturer of internal combustion engines in the world. What an astonishing... I mean, that's even more remarkable, I think, than Henry Ford or, you know, or someone like that. That's right, But when it comes to the actual motorbikes, I'm a Yamaha man. And I, I always have been. I just think they've known what motorcyclists want they're maybe not quite the same quality as Honda, but there or thereabouts. I mean, those fizzies, when you think about it, they were sort of rotty little sports mopeds for young men. Yeah. But they were really well put together, yeah, weren't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. I think they knew that th- there were two approaches to that. There was, like, the Italian approach, which was paint it a flashy colour, give it a crazy name, and make it make a crazy sound. And it doesn't really matter if it holds together. <laughs> That's right. right? Yeah. Whereas the Japanese were like, no, no. These things will be ridden flat out every single time the engine is started. That's right. The thing needs to hold together, yeah. or else our dealers, and of course, this is the early, early ish days of the Japanese motorcycle industry, our dealers won't want to sell them. Yeah. They won't want to, they won't want to carry our brand. If, they, if people keep coming back into their shop and going, it's broken again. Yeah. You know, I mean, Ducatis, we've talked about them. Yeah. They're not like they used to be no. since they became part of. VW Group. Yeah. Are they still part of VW, I think? Yeah, yeah. I'm not that well up on Ducatis. Well, they, they got... Well, we're going to talk about one in a second. Exactly. <laughs> they got a good story. He just told me before we came yeah. in. But they were very well put together, and if people wonder why our generation have got this great attachment to Japanese motorcycles, 
it's I think it's because I remember my dad constantly having to work on his bikes just to keep them on the road. Yeah. I was telling somebody the other day I had at one it, cause we were having that conversation of the more bikes you have, the less likely you are to ride them. And I said, yeah. I said, at one point, I had about seven bikes, and at the back of the garage that I, I had for bikes was, um, I had a Yamaha Thunder S, and it had been there for about 18 months. Yeah. And I moved the Yamaha Charles bike, the Triumph, the Vespa, the Aprilia, moved all the other bikes out, wheeled it out into the sunshine. I thought, bet it won't start. Thunder starter, run, started straight away, yeah, ra- yeah. ran perfect. Brakes hadn't seized on, nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I thought... That is amazing. It's been there in a shed in the north of England, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, um, started That's straight right, away. Yeah. Try that with a bike from any... Although, I was going to say, try that with a bike from anywhere else in the world. But it's different now, isn't it? It is, yeah. When you look at a Triumph or a Ducati or a BMW, it's... They always used to say, back in the day, you couldn't beat a BMW or Honda for build quality. Yeah. No, they all just seem... They all seem great. They do, yeah. You haven't told us what you traded in that. You got 250 quid. You got oh, more, right. than, more I, than you I'd paid for that. it. Yeah, I sold that out the Liverpool. Bit of a wheelie dealer. That's where it all started, <laughs> it, it was, it? actually. Um, I sold that out the Liverpool Echo, actually, in the classified ads, what we were talking oh, about great. earlier. But then I bought from the same salesman, Queen's Park Motors in Salford, a brand-new Yami XS250. I didn't right. go for the two-stroke, because when the XS's come out, it was just physically a bigger bike. Yeah. And it had a lucky start on it. And I just well. fancied one. So I paid the extra, I think it was 35 quid extra for the cast wheel version. Oh, yeah. Of the spoke one. Yeah. So I got that on my Well, they're like, well, I know Comstars were a Honda thing, but they, they like a Comstar they just, wheel. No, they were like the RD wheels, the same. Right. The Yamaha cast wheels, which were quite a nice-looking wheel, actually. And was it black? No, it was red, red and white. So we... At the time, if, if you'd, we were all sort of in subcultures, and by this time in my two-wheel career, I was a fully-flown mod. I'd gone, I'd crossed the Great Divide. I'd come out of the closet on a Vespa, yeah. and like you know, so I was into all that and modifying and customizing and trying to make them things go faster and all that sort of stuff. So at the time, would you have described yourself as like a rocker or a greebo? A, a, a greebo. A greebo. <laughs> yeah, I'd love yeah, yeah, yeah. greasy clothes. I actually put ape hangers on that XS250. Awesome. And saw the exhaust. Off, <laughs> off the exhaust so that, that was my first attempt at customising yeah. a bike, yeah. We've got to describe what Grebo is. Grebo is like, if you took... It is basically <laughs> rockers that have been to see Easy Rider. And <laughs> yeah. so it was half um, American outlaw biker culture and half British outlaw biker culture, which is like the Tunnock Boys and the Rockers and all that sort of stuff. That's right. So there used to be a TV, you remember this, there used to be a TV programme called Please Sir, set in a sort of tough London school. I think they made a film with Sidney Poitier. Yeah, they did. They did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And one of the lads was a Grebo. Whoever wrote that that show knew what a Grebo was. So he had the German helmet, didn't he? And the cut-off denim. Did you have the cut-off denim with all the status quo and Honda and all that sort of stuff on it? You used to to be able to buy all those patches out of Bike Magazine or Superbike, didn't you? That's right, yeah. Like wings, just wings, and then a generic motorbike name in the middle. Every single motorbike name, Honda, Motorguzzi, whatever. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's how it was. We used to have run-ins with you lot. 
I'll tell me about it. We had a, a famous one with the Wigan Blue Beats. Oh, the, the, the Scooter Boys. Well, well <laughs> yeah. the problem with this, well, the problem for us was we couldn't get away from you because we're on scooters <laughs> and you lot were on motorbikes. So we we had to learn how to fight, or we had to learn how to fight because. Somebody said, well, could you just run off? And I'm going, I'm not leaving my Vespa there to get <laughs> thrown to get thrown in the canal. That was, because, of course, in the northwest, the canal's everywhere. That's right, yeah. So it seemed a popular pastime for you lot on your great big thundering stinky motorbikes to throw scooters in the canal. So we, we learned that you had to stand your ground or else that was it. Your Vespa was going in the canal. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a famous thing when they, when they, when they showed Quadrophenia at the pitch house, which was... Right opposite Wigan Casino, if you, if you know where it was. Oh, wow, well, yeah. The ABC. Wigan Casino is a very famous nightclub in the history of uh, a genre of music called Northern Soul, where these places would stay open all night and play rare American soul music, even though it was the UK. Music that had been completely forgotten in America. And these guys used to go over to the States and the sort of crate digging now that DJs talk about... That really started with people like Ian Levine going over from the north of England to the States thinking we've got to go and find these records and just going in like thrift shops and and leafing through thousands and thousands of old records to try and find these rare black American records. And the mecca, if you'll pardon me mixing me uh, uh, bingo club names, was the Wigan Casino in Wigan, Lancashire. There's a fantastic documentary on YouTube it's called This England, and it was made by Granada Television right. about Wigan Casino. And it's that famous footage that you always see where they slowed it down, where people are doing the incredibly acrobatic oh, dancing and spinning round and round on the spot, wearing massive flares. That was always tricky, wearing flares on a motorbike, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, Because yeah. the faster you went, the more they'd flap about. Because <laughs> yeah. we were mods, so we didn't have that problem. We were, right, in, yeah. we were in drain pipes, you lot were in flares. <laughs> It's hard to run after somebody in flares as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they had a show in a quadrophenia. Did they ask you lot to turn up? And they asked, no, did, what, did they ask the scooter club to turn up as well? Well, what happened was, they, there's a, I don't know if you know it, there's a biker's pub about 400 yards away from a pitch house called the John Bull Chop House. Right. And the whole pitch house come out, we are the mods, we are the mods, like in the film. All went up to the John Bull to get the bikers. Oh, dear. There was only a handful in. It was like a Wednesday night. There was only one bike outside, an Orton Commando, belonging to a guy called Chris Halliwell. That's my favourite bike. Which they smashed up. There was only a handful. Terrible! There <laughs> was a handful of people in the pub. They had to barricade themselves in, and they smashed the Norton up outside the pub. We didn't... Right, so in Manchester... I mean, I'm a very lad, but we, we started coming into Manchester because we could get into places like Pips... Remember Pips? Pips? I remember Pips. Right, I went in the centre of Manchester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we could get in places like that at sort of 16, 17. The problem was, in your hometown, if you live in a small town, like, you'd go into um, you'd go into pubs or licensed premises and try and get served, and it'd be one of the dinner ladies from school behind the bar <laughs> or one of the girls that was in the sixth form who knew that you weren't old enough to get served. If you went somewhere else and you put a... We soon learned that if, all you had to do if you were sort of 16, 15, 16, to get served. And I worked for this old uh, Jewish guy on the market in Berry, Sid Goodman. And we we were telling him about how we couldn't get served in pubs. And what we were doing is going in in, like, a Levi's denim jacket and a T-shirt. And he said, I know what you boys need. Come with me. Like this. And he <laughs> took us to a gentleman's outfitters. And he we got pants, shirts, jackets and ties. And he said he, and he took it out of our wages. And... 
we were thinking, is this? He, he, he wouldn't take any argument from us. He was going, I'll sort you boys out. And so we, I'll never forget, I got this sort of camel sport jacket and a stripy shirt and a tie and all this. And I thought, is this going to work? It worked like a dream. The first time we went out wearing that, we walked in places. Nobody even asked us. Because, of course, 15 and 16-year-old lads didn't didn't dress like that. Right, we were yeah. obviously older, so we never even got asked. So we started going out in Manchester, and um, we found the real trouble wasn't rockers or greebos. It was the bloody football football casuals. Do you remember that? Yeah, exactly. Like the lads who caused trouble at football matches. Yeah, yeah. We had some infamous pitch battles with them lot. It got to the point, because we, we used to meet up in the centre of town. Do you know the Black Lion at Black, uh, Blackfriars in the centre so, yeah. of Manchester? Yeah, yeah. And the Millstone on Tibb Street and, and pubs. And so a lot of lads had come in from the surrounding towns, from Bury, from Oldham, from Stockport, from Bolton, come yeah. into Manchester to go to these nights and there'd be lines of scooters. I mean, at the height of it, maybe 200 scooters yeah. lined up outside the Black Lion. So you, we thought that's, you know, we're kids. What do we know? We thought, that's a show of force. Nobody's going to take us on. Look. No, it was a magnet for trouble. Because, <laughs> of course, everyone who's ever looked at a line of scooters and felt thought bad thoughts has thought, like it every which way but loose, right turn, Clyde. That's right, yeah. They've thought, if I give this first one a boot, they're going to go like dominoes. But they don't. I don't even. I don't. I, I'm not even going to ask you if you ever tried to do it. I have they, a scooter. No, but no, but when they don't fall over no, because the stand, stand yeah. there's a massive, st- really wide stand. So they're not like bikes where it's just got a kickstand. It's got this big old stand, so they don't they don't do that. But um, it got a bit old fairly quick, having to sort of run and fight every with these bloody football casuals every single week. And but then, interestingly. A few of them sort of t- started turning up on the scooter scene. Yeah. And they were riding sort of the new breed of scooters, which was, instead of having stuff bolted onto it, the whole thing was just completely cut down. And that's what people call them, cut downs. That's right, yeah. Or skelly, skeletons. So you were just left with a tube frame of a Lambretta. Yeah. And just cut away, removed all the bodywork, and then just sort of chromed the fuel tank and stuff like that. And a lot of those lads were some of the football casuals that a yeah. year before we'd, we'd been fighting with. It's, it's any, anything like that, any sort of subculture that's on two wheels, it seems to evolve so quickly that that's things right. cross over, don't they? Do yeah. you know what I mean? So, like, you're saying it was Grebo back in the day. Yeah. But that didn't last long, did it? No, no, not at all, no. I want to know what happened to that XS250 with the air pangers on it. Did it get crashed? Did I, did I partex that or did I sell it private? Do you know what? How big were the air pangers? Tell us, go on. They were about, I bet they were about uh, 13, 14 inch. They, went mass, they, you know, they were big enough for an XS250. <laughs> it did look ridiculous. Well, I'll tell you a funny tale. Did, did you swap them over when you took it for the MOT? Or? I didn't, but a uh, funny tale to tell you, an old school friend of mine called Pete Harrison had an X7 at the time. And it, so that but, was the Suzuki 250, It yeah. was. He, he needed to, he was doing his bike test. And his X7 had broke down, so he rang me up and said, could I possibly borrow your bike to do my test on? And when he, I said, yeah, no, no problem, Pete. When he come round to pick it up, I just fitted the ape angles and the sawn-off exhaust. <laughs> he had a day-glow sash on. <laughs> so he looked sensible. And he did his test on, on the XS with, his, uh, with the ape angles on, and he did pass. I did my test on my brother's Lambretta because I was fiddling with a tick-over on my Vespa P200E. 
And if you remember, those Vespers had a downdraft carburetor. Yeah. And it was in like a sardine tin on top on top of the engine. And there was a there was a, a screw for the tick over. But for some reason, I don't know why, I'd, I'd t- stripped the whole thing apart and I was fiddling with the screw and it, it went down into the engine. <laughs> <laughs> and this was about 20 minutes before I was due to set my bike test. So I ran in the house and said to me, brother, I want to borrow your, I need to borrow your Lambretta. And he threw me the key. Not that you needed a key. You could have started it with the, That's right, yeah. with the thing that you open a tin of corned beef with, you know, the key that's on top of that. So um, as he shouted after me, front brake doesn't work. <laughs> and I was like, what? So on the test, did you do the test where the, the guy says, it was always a block, where the guy says, at some point on the test route, because they'd show you the test route on a map, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. I want you to ride this test route. At some point on the test route, you will see me at the side of the road. I shall raise my clipboard thus. When I bring it down, I want you to perform an emergency stop. Yeah. Do you understand? So did you have to do I that? that was a test so he did, said yeah. that to me, and I thought, right, I'd better make it look like the front brake works. So when he... When I saw him, he's a bearded chap. He looked like a, one of those lecturers off the Open University when you got home drunk at night and you put the telly on and there'd be a bloke in big glasses and a beard going, the indices of Y over 7, and you'd sit there watching it because you couldn't be bothered getting up and changing it. Anyway, I saw him at the side of the road and he raised his clipboard and when he brought it down, I slammed the back on as hard as I dare and pushed really hard on the front to make it look like the front brake was working. <laughs> so did he pass? He did, yeah. He ah, did pass, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did pass, yeah. Well, so what happened to that bike after that? The the XS. I'm trying to think of it if I part exchanged it. I, poss- I possibly did because like I said, I passed my test on the XS250 and I will have part exchanged it for a Triumph Bonneville. Oh, um, it's getting serious now. Yeah, that's it. I wanted... I saw I always had interesting British bikes. Um, I wanted either a Triumph or a Norton. And there was one... It was actually a car dealer's um, in Oral. Um... And I did a pair text it for a T140D, which was the Bonneville Special, a 78 on the T. Right. And that, that was the first big bike I had, a 750. Yeah. And that, that was when I was about 18, 19. Was it any good? I loved it, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't any good when I sold it. <laughs> I did a lot of miles on that bike. Right. I used to go on a holiday down to Torquay, two up with, with one of my mates on the back, and used to camp. And there was oil coming out of everywhere when I saw that bike. It was, it was <laughs> I went the TT on it. Rode it around the TT course, flat out on Mad Sunday. So I had some oh, fun on that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Last time I was with my missus at the TT, I hadn't got a bike with me. It, she, she was over here. She effectively lives in and works in North America. And uh, I say that because it's not one place. She She's Canadian, but she works in the States, and works yeah. in Canada, whatever. And um, she's got her own bike. You know, she's seen That's her bike. Right, yeah. And... Um, at the last minute, she was here, and it was the TT, and I wasn't going to go. And I, I'd, I think it was I'd been I'd been every year for fifteen or sixteen years, and it was going to be the first time I missed. And she said, "I'm here. The TT's on. The weather's nice. Why aren't we going?" And, and, and I said, "All right, let's just go." So we got, but we couldn't get on with a car or a bike. Couldn't get on the on the ferry. So we got trained to Liverpool and went on as foot passengers. Right. And I'm calling people saying, has anybody got a spare bike? I'm coming. Like this, and, and a few mates who were there. 
And there's a lad called Stuart Osborne that we know from London, and he's like on the sort of what they call the rocking scene. You know, into like, he's in a rockabilly band yeah. called the Polecats and stuff right. like that. So he's got the quaff and he's always like immaculately dressed for that sort of era of bike, really knows his British bikes and stuff like that. And he said, oh, we've got this spare ex-dispatch Yamaha thing, Yamaha Diversion, a divvy. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they got it out to the van. And you know when... You can't look a gift horse in the mouth, can you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You can't be bitching when somebody says, yeah, yeah, we've got a spare bike, and uh, we'd taken our helmets, you know, so we knew what we were doing. So I said, right, come on, let's... I looked at it, and I thought, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like it had been to the moon and back. <laughs> you know, when you look at a bike, and everywhere that the human form touches the motorcycle is worn down to the bare <laughs> yeah, metal. Yeah. You know, like where the frame rails w- that should be painted... It's worn through the paint, it's worn through the primer, and it's polished. Somebody's legs have polished the frame rails. So I'm looking at the mileage, and it says something like 37. And I said, is that 137? (laughs) And he said, it might be 237. It was dispatched in London for 11 years. And I'm like, oh, right, okay. So anyway, we get on the course, get up on the mountain, and uh, it's changing gear of its own volition. I'm (laughs) I'm riding along, two up. I think it was a 600 or a 900. Right, it was 600 yeah. and 900. Yeah, really. yeah. I'm riding along and it's going, eh, it's changing up and down the gearbox. <laughs> My missus is, what are you doing? I said, I'm not doing anything. It's the bloody bike. <laughs> like this, I'll never forget this. We get up onto the, on, right up on the mountain where the railway line crosses, yeah. the, of course, and there's that. Was there a museum or a cafe or something like that? I think so, yeah. Museum, yeah. right, okay. So we pulled into the car park because I, I thought, I wonder if there's anything I can tighten or if there's anything I can do to stop it from doing this. There wasn't. The gearbox was just completely worn out. Right? Yeah. And I'm not complaining. Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> you lent us a bike at the last second. I appreciate it. But it it had seen better days. There's these two likely lads there just stopped, like, taking pictures. And they sort of clocked me. And one of them says to me, uh, and they're looking at the bike. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, is that yours, Steve? <laughs> and, that, and I went, no, no, it's a mate's. And the other lad went, he's no mate. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, it's, you know, and I was I sort of explained to him last minute and all this thing, but when he said he's no mate, I thought, I looked at it and I thought, yeah, he's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> but a bike's a bike, isn't it? Of course it is, yeah. Even that thing has completely knackered and worn out and all the, the shocks gone and the forks leaking oil and just no power from the engine and rattling, horrible rattling noises from everything. We were on the Isle of Man. Yeah. We were on the TT course, two up. The sun was shining. Happy as a sandboy, mate. Yeah. Don't care what the bike is. Exactly. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So when you got rid of it, what were you looking at next? Were you gonna Were you gonna go custom or were you gonna go sports? Well, after the body. Yeah. I, I went for a a big jack bike. Well, I, bought, I actually bought a Commando as well. I had right. a seven fifty Commando, but I bought a Z thousand Mark Two. I just fancied a big capacity Japanese bike at the time, and I converted it because the the Mark II had the square tank. I wanted it to look like the original Z900. Yeah, did it have the little bikini fairing as it well? It didn't. No, it was the one before that. Just right. just a square tank, square tailpiece. So I put all original Z900 tank side panels and tailpiece on it what and handlebars, so it looked exactly the same as a Z1 then. What colour? Orange and brown. It was green, custom painted. <laughs> it was blue when I got the, the standard bike was blue with gold pinstripes. But what was it like running a commando at the same time as that? Because the chalk and cheese, really, aren't they? Yeah, the, 
To be honest, that's when they kind of fell out of British bikes, really. Right. When, when you know, we got used to riding the big jack bikes. I mean, they were so Especially something so as good as that. Well, that's right. That was we, an outstanding motorcycle, wasn't it? Because at the time, we, we'd do a lot of bike rallies, and you know, our lives were motorbikes, and the commando and that, it just break down everywhere you went. There was oil leaks on it and everything. They rattle like Billy all the later they do, ones, yeah. don't they? Well, it, it, it's my well, favourite motorbike of all time. I love yes, them. I still love them. Love them. But, um, but... <laughs> they got, they got, it's the brakes. The, 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 the barrels actually cracked on that, which is a fault on them. Yeah. They, they actually cracked the barrels and, and spewed oil out everywhere. But uh, I wish I had that bike back now, what they bring you. They give 250 quid for that. Wow. Off a local fella. Which one was it? Which model? It was 750 Roadster. The Roadster? Yeah. So was that the one that had, like, a fastback tail unit and slightly dropped down? It was the smaller... T- it wasn't the big round tank. It was the smaller tank road, so the bit the sportier one. Um... The 750 Commando. What a, what yeah. a bike. It was, but, it was a cracking bike. compared to a Z1000, exactly. if you were thinking, where are we going this weekend, or down south, we've got to take all the camping gear. That's right. I nearly said bird on the bike then, which would have been a terrible thing to say <laughs> in 2021, <laughs> when even middle-aged men like us have realised that those days are gone. <laughs> and you can't say bird on the back. Yeah. A young lady of your acquaintance who was accompanying you for the weekend. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's funny that rally tradition, isn't it? It's it's kind of, you know, when you look at the sort of custom bike scene in the UK now, which obviously you're embedded in with what you do, you know, for a living. Yeah. Um, there are these events like the trip out and the hot rod hair ride and yep. Pendine and all that, and it's kind of, for me, it's younger guys that are into bikes, but they don't want to wear Power Rangers leathers. That's right. Yeah. And they don't want to go roaring round on something with 200 horsepower. Yeah. Uh, and they don't really want a Japanese bike unless it's a, an XS650 or something that's, that's a, copy, right, yeah, a yeah. copy of a British bike or an American bike. But they want they wanted go and they want to go to a rally, but it's kind of their version of a rally, isn't that's it? Right, yeah. It's the same thing as if you went to like the the Welly Chuckers MCC and it was at the rugby club and you were camping and all that sort of stuff. But they've kind of hipsterized every, yeah, yeah, every yeah, aspect that, of it, right, have yeah. they? So yeah. there's a band on, but it's a hipster band. Yeah. There's a burger van, but it's artisan, exactly, hand-raised, yeah. vegan, whatever <laughs> it is. Yeah. And there's a little bit of me at the back of, at the back of me that thinks, look at these kids. <laughs> like, but it's great. Those events are great. Yeah. The trip out and all that well, sort of stuff. I went to stuff. the very first trip out. I went to the first three, I think. When it moved to Norfolk Way, I didn't go. I just Who started it? I, I go at the Paul. Well, I can't think of his surname. Not the geezer from Crazy Horse, was it? Paul no, Beamish? No, no. no. Right, it, right. it was an independent guy. He has, he has right. uh, panhead choppers. I can't think of his surname. I know his name is Paul. I get the guy who actually started it. Because the first one, there wasn't many there, but it's got that big now. Yeah. I think it's the last one this year. But it got really popular where you had to get tickets. Like like the Hayride. It's I was going to say, is it like Glastonbury? <laughs> yeah. Where people go, oh, yeah, I was here in 71 when <laughs> David Bowie was a hippie and like played an acoustic <laughs> guitar. It's been ruined now. Oh, it's all corporate and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, I, I mean, we won't just, like, list all the bikes that you had because, you know, you've had millions of bikes. Well, not literally, but nearly. But, um... It must be very encouraging for you to see this revival in the interesting custom bikes of the UK. When yeah, would you say was the low point? Uh, I'd, I'd say, see, I started... About it, 10 years ago? 
Um, probably longer than that, really. I'd say. Uh, which was a lot, yeah, possibly 10, 10 years ago, but it, it's really picked up in it the has. last few years. Really yeah, yeah. gone, really gone, uh, really picked up. Right, well, I, I'll give you, for instance, to prove that. Mid-90s, the best-selling motorbike magazine in the UK and sold so many copies that it would regularly crack the top 20 of best-sold magazines of any description. You'd look at the chart for best-selling, because... I was in that business, I was in magazine publishing. Yeah. So you'd get a trade paper and it'd have all the ABC, the Audited Bureau Circul- of Circulation, all that sort of stuff. You'd see their sales figures. Performance Bikes magazine, right. which was Power Rangers leathers, right, yeah, yeah. grind your knee sliders to atoms, somebody pulling a wheelie or in a dart visor on the front cover every month. Yeah. Regularly getting up near 150,000 copies a month, which for the UK is a lot of magazines. That's right, yeah. They were making a lot of money. Yeah. That magazine now has gone. That's right, it's yeah. not just reduced circulation. It has gone. And yet, there's Built Magazine out there, yeah. which is concentrating on that on that um, old-school chopper, right, bobber, yeah. cafe racer-type custom. And Backstreet Heroes, which you might have th- thought with uh, our mate Nick Sampson at, at the helm, editing it, good lad, and um, going great guns. That's right. Yeah. You know? If yeah. you'd have said, if you'd have said in the mid nineties, if you'd have held Backstreet Heroes with a picture of a chopper on the front and performance bikes, and said, which one of these magazines do you think is going to be gone in twenty five years time? You yeah. go, well, obviously the one with choppers and long haired guys wearing sort of leather cut offs <laughs> yeah, and all that sort of stuff. Right, yeah. That old school stuff, not performance bikes. That shifts hundred and fifty thousand copies a month. Well, yeah. guess what, buddy boy? In twenty five years time, that's going to be gone. That's yeah. going to be ancient history. And yet, Backstreet Heroes is still going to be there, bigger bigger and better than ever. That's right, yeah. Because why do you think it is, Matt? I've got my theories, but why do you think that is? You know what? I I, I think uh, with everything, with cars and bikes, everything's everything's gone a full circle. It's kind of everyone's into nostalgic stuff now. It's more fun. Yeah, it is, yeah. I think that's why it is. And and that's the way it's gone. Uh, Like I say, if if you go to local bike meets... Whereas, like, say, the 90s, it'd be mostly... Fireblades, GS6Rs, it'd be it'd be plastic-coated Japanese four-cylinder bikes, CBR 600s, right, yeah. everybody walking around with knee sliders on one-piece leathers exactly. and all that sort of stuff, full-face helmets with black visors, all that kind of thing. say, a, mod, a modern bike meet, you, you go anywhere, Rivington Barn or, or Matlock, and the amount of custom bikes... Harley's, like Harley's, when I was young, you never seen a Harley on the road. I've said this before on the show. The, where did you get a Harley back, yeah. in, back in the day? Well, there was one Sports, dealer, wasn't there? Sports motorcycles in Manchester. I used to go and have a look in there, which was just off Deansgate. You yeah, remember yeah. It? They, they sold decaf. Steve Wynn. Not, not the guy who owned casinos. Right. The, the Steve Wynn who sponsored Mike Halewood and gave him that Ducati that he won the That's CT right, on. Yeah, he was sponsored by them, yeah. yeah. Well, they had a... Um, they were the only Harley dealer in the northwest at the time because I used to go on my Bonneville and, and I think there was one in Leeds. Yeah, at one point there were about five dealers in the whole of the That's UK. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I think Harley themselves, riding the crest of the wave that they were experiencing in the states, came into the UK, set up a proper dealer network. But when you think about it, in the last twenty years here in Manchester, the Harley dealership has changed down four times. It has, yeah. Four times. Yeah. You go anywhere else in the world and go, yeah, the Harley dealer's changed four times in 20 years. You go anywhere else in the world and the Harley dealer's been there since the 30s or the exactly, 40s. Yeah. The same people. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. Obviously, Wars in London. Yeah. Um, it's, I think that's the oldest, the oldest dealership in the there, world yeah. outside of the States. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's one in San Francisco is the oldest one in the world. Right. I'm trying to remember what it's, what it's name. I should be able to remember that, but I can't. But why would it change that many times? And yet now, I think the people that are doing it now are probably experiencing a sales boom like Harley have never really known in the well, UK. Well, they have, because a lot of, like says, it was uh, Bowkers who, who took it over in Preston, wasn't it? Right. Which basically, they the car up, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. It's all to do with numbers, I think. That you know? never works, mate. Whereas there was a there was a dealer. Car people selling motorbikes, bad idea. It never works. There was a dealer in Southport, if you remember, for quite a few years, but a very yeah. small Kermit. Yeah. South. What was he called? Well, there was Southport Superbikes. And yeah, it was, was opposite there. Yeah. Oh, he was. He was in the shop just before there. Then he was opposite. Um, oh, I don't think what it was called. Was it called Southport Harley Davidson? I don't know. Yeah, but they only had it a hand, was. Rog- only had a handful of bikes. Kerwin, Roger Kerwin. Kerwin. Yeah, Kermit. He's yeah, in yeah, America yeah. now. Yeah, is he? Yeah, right. he, he emigrated. But yeah, yeah he, and he had probably had six bikes in something like that, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so and it's, that was it, like nineties. Well, it's it? like we were saying earlier. You didn't see, you didn't see E-type Jags on the street and Mini Coopers and stuff like That's that. Right, you yeah. saw sort of grey porridge driving around. Yeah. And it's the same with bikes. If you look back at films where there's a bike gang, yeah. everybody's got like a big, shiny Harley Triumph, That's Norton, right. whatever. You look back at photos of the lads. There's a great there's a great Facebook page. There's a fellow, he's been in, he's been a guest on this show. He's a great guest, Bonneville Bob. Everyone knows Bonneville Bob, right? And um, somebody runs a Facebook page for him, and they're constantly putting up, if they find any old footage a British biker culture, youth yeah. culture, that sort of thing, you know, shot by the BBC or Pathé, they put it up. And so, obviously, you see a gang of lads, and there's a couple of good bikes, and then you can see that the the, tele, the TV people or the film people have hidden all the sort of bitsers and, yeah, you know, yeah. knackered old crap that yeah, people yeah. are smoking about. On. They put the ones that have been bought on HP and haven't been crashed yet at the front. Yeah, right. And then everyone else's bikes. And, of course, if you watch films, everyone's in, like, immaculately tailored Lewis leathers yeah. and jet helmets and great-looking sexy goggles. In real life, people are wearing national cardboard donkey jackets, right. wellies, Wellington boots... To yeah. ride motorbikes, <laughs> I, I never, I never had proper bike gear t- till I was in, in my forties. At times, <laughs> I, just, I really didn't. I went to the south of France, denim jacket. Yeah, with the Levi, the, Levi's the, denim jacket, went jeans. The south of France on his head, down with double denim face helmet, goggles, <laughs> poured it down all the way. I never had no waterproofs. Yeah. Well, we, I've, I've told this one a few times, but. When we used to, uh, when I was working for Street Fighters and Backstreet Heroes, Scootering Magazine, Hog Magazine, Mike McFarlane, it was sort of the, there were two big publishing groups that did mag- motorbike magazines in the UK, one little one based in Manchester and I worked for them. And we used to ride in all through the year, you know, as young men would sort of ride, four or five of us would ride in. There were a few that were in company cars or vans yeah. or whatever, older guys. But, you know, we'd, I had a VMAX at the time and I'd ride in parking outside, whatever it was, you know, in the snow, slithering in in the snow from Bury about sort of 10, 12 miles away. And there was a handyman in our... There was a handyman in the building, an elderly retired bloke who used to come in in the mornings and, like, fix, like, leaky hinges on doors and, you know, that sort of thing. And he's always... He always had things... He's always carrying things like linseed oil or (laughs) or putty or grease or something like that and a big screwdriver. And he walked past us when we got in We'd be soaked wet through, just in denims or whatever, and like you, like you, and sit on the radiators to dry out, drinking our tea. And he'd go, 
you get piles. <laughs> get so I spoke to, you know Kaz, don't you, Kaz Carroll, who used to be the editor of BSH, John yeah, Carroll. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I hadn't spoken to John for years, and I, I phoned him, and he answered the phone, and he went, hello? I went, you get piles. And he knew straight away it was <laughs> me. And I said, I said to him, did you ever get piles? I hadn't spoken to a guy for like 15, 20 years. I said, did you ever get piles, uh, Kaz? He went, no, neither did I. I said, he didn't know what he was, didn't know what he was talking about, that old guy. <laughs> But, we, yeah, you're right, we didn't really wear bike gear. I mean, if I ever was on a racetrack, yeah, I'd put racing leathers on. Yeah. But I wouldn't have thought, I thought, probably like you, and I think this is particularly, a, is it particularly a northern thing, where if you turned up, the lads would have absolutely so, mercilessly, yeah. if you dared to turn up in racing leathers, you would have had the well, mickey right, taken yeah, out of you, you mercilessly, have, wouldn't you? Right, yeah. Let's say it was was donkey jackets. <laughs> it was donkey jackets. <laughs> and I had a, I'd, I did have a waterproof, and that had NCB National Cowboy, <laughs> and it was bright orange as well. well I, I remember a friend of mine, his donkey jacket was uh, WMBC, Wigan Metropolitan Council. <laughs> I seen him this morning, actually. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we must have been irresistible to the ladies, mustn't we? <laughs> yeah. How could they keep their hands off us in our cold-board waterproofs and jackets and stuff like that? Do you know what? I interviewed Cannon and Ball. Bobby Ball and Tommy Cannon. Yeah. One of them died recently. Which one was it? Bobby? Yeah, he passed I, on, didn't I he? Had one, I had a bike off the other one. Uh, Did you? Years ago, VN 1500. Didn't buy directly off him, but his name was still on the logbook. Well, they told me they look bi- they were bikers, weren't yeah, they? Yeah. Both of them. They so, got, but they got into bikes. They were born agains, weren't they? Yeah. I think they'd had them yeah. back in the day, and then when the career was a little bit on the way, they were big stars, weren't they? They were, yeah. yeah they yeah. were amongst the biggest. Yeah, they was. Yeah. Saturday night telly, three or four channels to watch, and they'd be there with a, with their own show on Saturday night, wouldn't That's they? Right, yeah. And I interviewed them, and um, they got two things at the same time: uh, God and motorbikes. Right. So the conversation was peppered with references to the Almighty, which at first I thought, are they? Uh, is this a is this a gag? Am I, are, you know, because he, he praise the Lord, you know, thank yeah. Jesus. And I thought, all right, okay. Uh, but the, their enthusiasm for bikes just came through. They told me about um, their first proper trip out for like years and years, where they just set off in like normal clothes, and yeah. it was it was winter and they were freezing cold. So they were both, I think they started, they met when they were welders. Right. Not when they were, because I think Tommy was a singer originally, right. and Bobby was just somebody who people thought was funny, and somebody said, oh, you two should form yeah. a double act. But they knew each other from being welders in right. Oldham. Right. Yeah, in Oldham. Yeah. And um, they did what they did when it was winter in the, in the factory that they worked in. They went home and they put their wives' tights on underneath their jeans, two pairs of tights, and marigold washing up gloves underneath the gloves that they were wearing, and then set off again for Blackpool. They decided to ride over to Blackpool. But I think they had Honda 250 Rebels then, so they went they went up the food chain and and got bigger bikes, did they? That's right, yeah, because it was a VN50 what I had registered to one of them. It's funny when you meet celebs like that, and that you must have have had a few who your place, and they're allegedly bikers, but... You can always tell the difference between the one who are lifelong motorcyclists straight away, can't you? That's right. The yeah, ones the who like bikes and then got famous are the ones who got famous and then thought, oh, I'm going to start liking motorbikes and yeah. <laughs> buying motorbikes. We sold a, a, 
a bike to a guy you you might know if they've been DJ James Perkins, right. record producer. Fanta- you know the label Fantasia. Right? I've heard he, of it. Yeah, he bought a bike off us to put in his house as an ornament. Oh right, and it was a, it was a fan- it was a fifteen grand gnarly. Wow, with big big fat tires on, but that, and he was just going to put it in his house. It was just um, as an ob- like as, a, a, as an ornament, an object d'art, if yeah. you will. Well, I suppose he could have spent it on a painting, couldn't he, or oh, a, right, a yeah. bit of sculpture. Yeah. yeah. When did the notion of buying and selling? I don't know anybody who does what else that does what you do. Buying and selling custom bikes. No, there are lots of people who buy and sell motorbikes, and I know a lot of people who do that. But I don't know anybody else who's the vast majority of your stock is heavily customised right, yeah. and scratch-built choppers it's, and bobbers and customs. It is. I, I just got the idea. It was it was my first shop I opened in 1987 in Goldborn with a, a good friend of mine. We were part, business partners, and we decided we wanted to open a bike shop. Now, a few of my friends at the time, we were always into building choppers and choppers. A lot of my friends had choppers, custom-built bikes, would these have been British engine choppers no, rather than no, they were, they were both, a mixture of both because all, all like the clubs at the time, they, they were building British and Japs. So the, the Jap choppers were, were like becoming quite popular. Well, National Chopper Club did a lot for that, didn't That's they? That's right, With yeah. They, they, across the frame, four-cylinder chops that actually looked in proportion. A lot of the, a lot of the early stuff where they tried to copy American trends but use... Parallel twin British engines that, or four-cylinder right, yeah. Japanese engines didn't work, did it? No. But a lot of the the sort of NCC stuff, where they sort of got the proportions of that engine and then matched it to that's the frame. Right, yeah, they what, built them at some really nice Much bikes. more successful. Well, and then again, all, all like the major backpatch clubs had to ride choppers. Then most of the club rules, it was they had to have a chopper, had to be a rigid chopper. So I used to deal with all these guys. So started buying buying bikes off from dealing with them. But I'd always been into choppers since being a kid, and we just, I just started selling them from day one, really, when I, when I opened up, and it's something that I found to be a niche market. But here's the thing, guys. If somebody comes into your... Uh, you're a motorbike dealer. Somebody comes through the door and says, I've got um, a six-year-old Honda VFR. It's got 35,000 miles on the clock. It's got full-service history. Without even really seeing it, you can value it. How the hell do you value a motorcycle? that 90%, well, not 90%, but a custom-built motorcycle where even the frame has been created from scratch. Yeah. How do you value it? it, it it's hard to know. You've got to look at it and you've got to say, look, I, I think it's worth so much. Because a lot of people who've built them, they put a lot of money, a lot of time and effort into them, and, and they invest a lot of money. in. Now, some people think that the bike's worth that. If they've put 20, 20 grand into a bike, they'll think it's worth 25 grand, and it's not. It's probably worth a fraction of that, you know. So pe- people, some people are realistic. Some people, you know, they, they just they won't budge on it, but they never sell them. I built one myself. Um, the last the last chopper I built, I probably had twenty eight thousand pound in it from start to finish. Most of that in the mortar, was it? No, I mean it was fully custom built from yeah. the ground up. I sold it for fourteen thousand pound, and right. it was like brand new. So that's that's the kind of hit. You get on them, you know, yeah. they, wow. on, on a custom built bike. But like I say, I, I've got to look at them, and I've got, I've got to, to buy them to make money on. Well, it's somebody else's dream, isn't it? It is, yeah. That's what you're buying. You're buying and selling dreams, not motorbikes. That, that's right, yeah. What's the What's the biggest sob story that you've had in buying and selling custom bikes? Where you, 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 there must be a few. 
the, the, I mean, pe- people... Do most people not want to sell? Some or, people, or, I've had or are they just glad to see... They've just had enough and they're glad you, you to get see both, the back you, of it? You get both. Pe- people that's glad to see the back of it, either through ill health or financial problems. But then you get people that have to sell them. I've had people burst out crying. Literally cried. I bet cried you When the bikes have been going. Women and guys, do you know what I mean? And, and you do feel sorry for them because, like I say, they've put a lot of time and effort wow. into it. But... The, the bikes, a lot of the time... Do you feel a bit evil? <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of got used to it now. Just business, isn't it? Right? <laughs> it, it yeah, is. Well, if you, weren't, if you weren't buying it, somebody else would. See, so. who, who's going to buy a chopper? Yeah. The, the, the Most bike say, dealers won't, they will they? Won't, no, you, you, no, you go no. through the door and they're like, nope, sorry. Yeah, because, they're, they're, again, they, they don't want... They don't want to buy someone else's bike, but they, what's a home-built bike, do they? You know, they, Because you, yeah. you've got to put a warranty on them. Yeah, because, them. you know, it's... it's um, I've ridden a few pretty radical chops in my time. Yeah. And I've struggled. You, you do. I mean, some of them. can't believe, like, the flop of the front you wheel do, yeah. and stuff you know, like you that. Some of the long front ends with a big rake. I mean, some of them are, are really hard. Work, I've but... seen you on some absolute... <laughs> yeah. Some big dog. Was it a big dog? It, uh, yeah, a bit, could have been a big dog, yeah. I was but... looking at it and I thought, how long is that bike that Gaz is sat on? It's outrageous. Yeah. Which, of course, is the point. Isn't it? Exactly. The point yeah, is to yeah. be outraged. It's all, it's all about the look. I mean, that's what chopper bikes are all about. What's the hardest? I, I, I rode one and it had, it had a rigid rear end. It had an incredibly raked out long front end. It wasn't so much, it wasn't so much the length of the forks, but it was the degree of rake yeah, was nuts. And um, <laughs> the handlebars were kind of like turned down swan neck handlebars yeah, yeah. rather than sort of big cow horns and it had a foot clutch and hand shift oh, and man. I thought and an open primary <laughs> and I thought how many different ways is this motorbike trying to kill me I know yeah they, it's they, like yeah, let's count them hand shift foot clutch yeah ridiculous much. forks open primary well I, I bought one off a guy called Yabby a famous chopper been in all the magazines right. it was a Yamaha XS11 he totally hand built the bike, made the frame. The forks were twenty inch, twenty eight inch overstock. Good lord! He made them himself. <laughs> they were they were solid tubes with two shock absorbers at the end. The back wheel solid, solid tubes. They were like solid tubes. With How much did they weigh? Oh, God, the, the bike was heavy. <laughs> it was raked out. You wouldn't believe the rake on it. Now it had a, a car back wheel in it, so the tire right, was square. Right, and that was <laughs> the hard. That, that's probably the hardest bike ever owned. And what they call tiller handlebars, where they come up and uh, come out and straight through exhaust. Now that guy who built that bike, he's, he's he emigrated to Thailand about about five years ago. He rode that to Prague, and he rode it to Faro, where he got the best chopper in Faro for it. Wow! But he actually, if you seen the bike, I rode that bike locally. It was hard work to ride, but he he did. I'm sure he said it was over 150,000 miles on that on that chopper. Really? In its state, yeah. It, it was, it's in a number of... It's been in a few magazines in, in different guys. Did it but, even have a brake on the front wheel? Or it did, but it had one of them. If you can remember them little miniature custom front drums, a 21-inch front wheel, <laughs> which was, uh, no. was useless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it had a, a back disc, but... Um, it was an XS 1100 Yamaha. But it so it's it's about 110 horsepower, something like that. Over 100 horsepower, yeah. They've been about 100 brake, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, That's the a forks lot. would flex as you pulled off. <laughs> it would flex. It, to the point where you was laugh, 
you, you was laughing rather than yeah, you know, as you, as you, as you were all as you I, were dying, you I, were laughing. As I've you... been to Southport on it, and I, I opened it up from a set of lights on the lights with some of the bikers, and, and a guy comes me the week later, weren't on it, and he went, "Was you on an orange chopper last week?" I said, "I was." He said, "We were all laughing our heads off when we got home. We said we seen them folks." He yeah. said, "You must be crazy riding that thing." Yeah, but it, it, you like say it's uh... it's kind of the point though, isn't it? I think yeah. I think I realised that at some point when I was writing about custom bikes or whatever for a living, that a big part of it was the same deal as when you could do a one-handed wheelie on your bicycle past the spa. <laughs> yeah. You saw some girl coming out of the spa that you fancied, and you thought, "Watch this." And like popped it up on the back wheel and did it did it like one handed. Like the point of those bikes being difficult to ride was that they were difficult to ride. So when especially other not necessarily this is terribly sexist but true. Not necessarily trying to impress women, but trying to impress your mates, because <laughs> your mates would go, just like they'd go, Oh, look, he can do a one handed wheelie on his Eddie Merckx. It was like they'd go, Yeah, he's got a suicide shift and he's got this and he's got you know, he's got a piddling little trail brake on the front and air yeah. pangers and blah, blah, blah. And people would go, how does he ride it? You go, I don't know, he's, he looks like, you know, he's sort of, he looks pretty good. Like, you might even be thinking, damn it, all the time you're riding, but you didn't want to let anybody know, <laughs> did you? Like, <laughs> no, right, yeah. I, I, they asked the guy, do you ride that thing? They go, oh, it's fine, what's your problem? You know, like, oh, right, yeah. It's it's just a sort of it's just a macho male nonsense thing to do, isn't it? That's right. It's like, it's like with ape hangers. On my bikes, I've always had ape hangers on them, and everyone says, ah, "How can you possibly be comfortable on that?" But to be honest, it really is a comfy riding position. Do you get pulled over? I, the last time I got pulled over was going over the cat and fiddle at, uh, to Buxton for the size of a number plate. Ah, uh, I was going to say, do that pull over? So. In the UK, and we said this a few times on the show, I don't think we we realise how lucky we are. No, I, I with don't. What, what we're allowed to go on the road with. That's right. There's a German guy, um, Thornston, comes to my place. He has. It's in, Ger- in Germany. They're, they're very strict on customers. Yeah. They're not allowed to, to build choppers like us. They're very strict almost yeah, everywhere yeah, else yeah. in the world. And he comes to Maybe my not place Russia. When, when, <laughs> he's, when he's in the country. He'll, he'll pop over for a brew with us, and, he, and he'll say, "If we rode that back home, we get arrested. They'd lock us up." He said, yeah. we just couldn't ride that on the road in Germany, you know. Yeah. And it, it, the way they get round it, or the way he's got round it, if, if the bike's pre-1940s, they can modify them, and that's what he has. He has a Harley frame, and it's modified only because it's so old, you know. Mm. It's ex- exempt from all the restrictions what they have. Yeah. yeah. So where do you see it going now? I mean, you're you're buying and selling custom motorbikes on a daily basis, so you're you're in touch more than probably anybody else with the way that motorcycling is going in the UK. We've we've had a big... We had the big cafe racer thing about, what, 10 years ago. That's right, yeah. Everybody was on a cafe racer. Yeah. Then the bobber thing happened. The old-school chopper thing was sort of bobbling away in the background all the time. Then the bobber thing happened. Yeah. And then, of course, what happens? And the street scrambler thing... And then what happens is that the manufacturers smell blood yeah, in the water, it, they don't they? They're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 money. Right, so I smell money in the water. That's and they right. go, there you go, in exactly the same way that Harley built the Super Glide to cash in on the chopper boom. That's right, yeah. Norton put, not air pangers, but big eye bars yeah, on the commando a and a yeah. crazy tail unit at the high-rise, all that yeah. sort of stuff. So we've seen the likes of Triumph and Ducati build street scramblers. We've seen them build bobbers. 
the problem is all the all the trends from the past have been mined and recycled. That's right. Is there anything really left? Is there is the direction that it's going in that you see? I, I, I don't. I think, like I say, I think I think it's all been done. The, the way it's going at the well, moment. That's a shame. The, <laughs> the, the way the, it's, it's still like bobbers that are really. If I get a bobber in, it's it's, it's not mm. in for two or three weeks. It's gone. You, you know why, don't you? They're comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like you, you, I'm sure a lot of the guys that buy bobbers would like to ride a, a bike with a sportier seated position. Yeah. But the truth is that the advancing years and maybe the widening girth exactly yeah. of of the motorcycle community here in the UK. I mean, you know, if you're young, you can you know ride anything, can't you? Yeah. You know, I rode a, I, I rode around on an Aprilia 250 two-stroke. Right. The riding position, it was like you were on the start line at Motor GP. <laughs> That's right. Your yeah. knees were clattering off the side of your helmet as you were going down the road, and I was fine with that. Now I wouldn't last ten minutes on that bike. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so as as the the motorcycle market or the the buyers for motorcycles in the UK get older, um. Things like bobbers, which are built for comfort rather than speed, are going to become more popular. And the people that buy them are probably denying it. They say, no, no, I just like the style of the bike. And you go, come on, mate. That's it, yeah. You don't want to be riding around with your arse stuck in the air. <laughs> and you, you, know. you don't, though. No. No, Banging but... your chest off the fuel tank of your motorcycle <laughs> as you're going to work. You're like, come on. And that Triumph, that Triumph bobber looks great, doesn't it? It does, yeah. What yeah. a great-looking motorcycle really that is. Nice bike. Well, I'd say that the way that the choppers have gone, especially as well, the choppers now, it's gone a full circle, because whereas, like, five or six years ago, they were building the big wheel, big bat wheel, 300 bat wheels. That it's got a, really silly, it didn't did it? <laughs> and, and they, they just throw your handling. When back. I looked at the tyres, when they were getting up to, like, a 350... They look like a balloon, don't they? Yeah. But when I was looking, I was saying, how do they make these tyres? And somebody said to me, they make them in three pieces. And I was like, ooh. Right. I, I, I don't know anyone that had a real problem with them. Yeah. But I just think, that can't be right. Yeah. Well, what, what, like I said, the trend's gone now. Narrow, back to narrow wheels, back right. to the 60s style. Yeah. Big long forks, narrow back wheels, big sissy bars and flake paint jobs. Wow. All, all the flakes seems to have come back. All those king and queen seats that yeah. people threw away. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two four accessories. You used to buy, be able to buy like a metal flake fabric. Do you remember it was like a sort of vinyl, yeah, but it had yeah. metal flake embedded in it. Yeah. King and queen seats. That's right. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously, the stuff that makes that—it's so weird. We, we, were, me and the missus were in. Uh, where were we? Trying to remember. Where we were in Vancouver, and we went in this sort of hipster biker store, and. Um, Everything in there was stuff that I know that mates of mine had thrown in skips. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like sort of crazy girder fork setups right, yeah, yeah. And, and like um, handlebar grips with turned ends so that there was a spike on the end of the chrome yeah, handlebar yeah. grips. Fr- little Frisco tanks all sort yeah. of pinstriped and metal flake and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And I'm saying, yeah, I'm pretty sure... That every single thing in here is something that my mates have have thrown in a skip to get rid of. That's right. Yeah. And now another generation is going. No, no, this stuff's really cool. And that's going, right. Yeah. Okay. I suppose what goes around comes around. It is. That, that, that's the way it seems to have gone. Yeah. But I think it's 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 become in a way. 
there, there wasn't much... I wasn't that... Even though I was sort of embedded in it, I wasn't that keen on the sort of performance bike era for a couple of reasons. One, because lots of people got killed. Yeah. I mean, you know, let, let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade. Selling 140, 150 horsepower arse in the air sports bikes and one piece leathers to lads who go and ride the cat and fiddle and roads like that that's on a right. Saturday or Sunday. There's only two places that's going to end up. Yeah, yeah. Court, hospital, and possibly hospital, not in a good way, where you get to ride in one of those private ambulances with no windows. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So when it comes back to being about the motorbikes and about the claws and about music and about having a good time. I, I'm a lot happier with that sort of motorcycle use. You want to ride a fast bike? I've got absolutely no problems. You, you know, you're looking at somebody who's been busted for double the speed limit, more double the national speed limit, more occasions than I care to mention, and had a yeah. couple of bands, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to say I didn't do it. I did. But... When I see the kids at places like Bike Shed in London or Ace Cafe or places yeah. like that, and they've obviously got a scene going on, they're wearing the Roland Sands gear and yeah, they've got yeah. the Davida helmets and the Barrafoldi goggles and the Red Wing boots, Chippewa, all that sort of stuff. They're wearing all the gear, those gardening gloves. <laughs> they wear those like, what, yeah, like sort like of tan, tan leather. Yeah, yeah. My mother used to wear them to do the gardening, <laughs> like when she was pruning her roses, yeah. you know, sort of thing. They're wearing them gloves and all that. Yeah. I've got no problem with that because I think there's far less chance of them wiping themselves out on the hog's back or the cat and fiddle or something like that. If you want to race, go racing. Go racing around a track. There's nobody coming in the opposite direction. Bad things might happen, but you're not going to get T-boned by an old lady in a Yaris. It's not going to happen on the racetrack. That's right, yeah. Yeah. What's the best bike that you've got in at the moment? What's, what's, What's the best one I've got in at the moment? And it's it's not bog standard, but it's the new VMAX. The new VMAX? The new VMAX, Wow, yeah, because yeah, I had a couple of the old ones. Yeah, they, it's... Wow, too... when did the VMAX come out, mate? 85, I think. 85? 85, yeah. Wow. The the new one came out in 2008. Yeah, to not much fanfare, not not too many people. Very expensive, but this one, it's got a big back wheel conversion. To, to Not that big, but a 240 wheel in the back. It's got quite a lot of extras on it, but I'd never rode one till last week. It's 200 brake horsepower, but it's just, it's a stunning bike all round. Yeah, it, it's it's comfy, and it's it's the acceleration. It's hard to put it in a genre now, isn't it? Muscle bike, I suppose. Yeah. With something like the Rocket Three, the Triumph. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a huge thing as well. Even next to a rocket, I've got a rocket in it. It looks huge next to a rocket. You know? Wow. But. Um, the, the choppers, what I've got, I've got a really nice, um, it's a UK built one, Softail, which has got uh, an 1800 SNS engine in. And that's like really, you know, a nice show standard bike. What about that UK scene? I mean, I made that series for Discovery with Battistini's and Polar Cycles and that's Destiny right, yeah. Cycles and all that. Is that still a thing? I've kind of lost touch. It, it is, but I don't, think, I don't think that's kind of as big as it used to be. I think Battistini's has gone now. They well, they down. were probably the most prominent they were, builder. Yeah, they they of, did some nice stuff. Over the top show choppers. Um. But all them, all them big custom shows seems to have stopped because there was the one at Donington, which was Donington Race Course. The kickback one's still going, isn't it? Yeah. The kickback show. Yeah. Um, but they had some really interesting... I think Lorne, the guy that did the, kick, the kickback show, he, um, he really 
got into this whole bobber. He did, yeah, yeah. I've been old I've school a choppers, of shows, yeah. but but he realised that it's kind of Britain's too small. If you're in the states or in Japan, it's different. Yeah. You can have a very specialised, very niche. You can have wheels and waves in Biarritz or something like that right, with yeah. you and your trustafarian mates. And not 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 that I'm having a go. I'd love to come to your event. Please send me an invite. But in Britain, you've kind of got to spread your net, spread your net a bit wider. So he has scooters and he has yeah. these sort of grom, the all the customised right. yeah, groms and all that sort of stuff. C50 That's a great yeah. scene, isn't it? It is. Yeah. The old yeah, custom yeah. groms. Yeah, yeah. My mate's got one and he he bought it and they're not that expensive. To, a grom is like a modern monkey bike. Yeah. And um, he bought one, not that expensive to buy, but he spent as much again on, like, all-in yeah, suspension, sure, Brembo yeah. brakes. I think you can buy turbo kits for them. <laughs> How nuts is that? Well, there's a, there's a gang of lads from Lee who've all bought... They're, they're, they're all big bikers. They've got motocrosses, big bikes, super bikes. But they've all bought Honda C50s and 90s. There's about 15 of them. They've tuned them all, like you say. They look stock, yeah. but they're not. Wow. And they say they've never had as much fun on the bikes. They all, if you're at Southport, you, they all come together, all wheeling. And then guys. they come flying past they you do, and wheeling yeah. it down and, the front and, and stuff listen, like that. Honestly, you want to get one and come out with us. We've never had so much fun on bikes in our lives, you know. That's what it's meant to be about, guys, isn't it? Of course it is, yeah. Fun. Yeah. 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 Hey, listen, we've hardly scratched the surface <laughs> of the stuff that you've had and the stuff that you've done. You've got to promise me you'll come back. Definitely, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for being a guest. Yeah, no problem. That's it for another edition of Steve's Speed Shop. If you want to listen to it again, don't worry. There's always the podcast, or you can listen to it here on Fab. There's a repeat on Saturday. See you next week.